Live from Dr. Henry Armitage Memorial High School AV Room. Welcome to episode 117. It's been 117 of these things. Welcome to the Horror Pod Class. My name is Tyler, and during the day, uh, I'm a wonderful school teacher. Well, kind of wonderful, but uh, uh, at night and when I can, I run Signal Horizon, a magazine dedicated to exploring genre fiction in and out of our classrooms. And I'm Oren Gray, and I'm just a fucking weirdo all the time. <laughs> No, you're a weirdo that we love, man. <laughs> somebody, somebody's got to, you know, somebody's got to take that burden on, and you uh, thankfully have. So, well, uh, tonight on the horror podcast, we're gonna spend some time talking about what we've been watching, what we've been reading. We're gonna help you find some free genre content on the internet, and finally, we're gonna spend the remainder of the episode exploring the seminal. I, I struggled with the word, but I think Seminole is probably pretty good here. Uh, but it's also also the birthday boy. Uh, we're going to spend the remainder of the time talking about uh, the classic 1922 film Nosferatu. Like, I should be happy that we accidentally got this on, our, on its birthday, but like, I feel like we should have waited until next year and done it on its 100th birthday. But, you know, hey, whatever. Yeah. We're doing good. Yeah. We're doing good. We're beating everybody to it. Right? right, like when next year when everybody else is doing, we'll be it's like shit. Be crowded as shit next year. Yeah, yeah, it will be like, uh, oh man, we were totally into uh, talking about Nosferatu when nobody was talking about Nosferatu. I don't, I got nothing. Yeah, but uh, happy 99th birthday! It's yeah. 99 years old. Isn't it weird to like live in a time when movies can be a hundred years old? Like, yeah. Um, when when Kevin or Dr. Caligari. Hit its hundred, which I think was earlier, like was last year, I think. Anyway, okay. Um, it was the first time there'd ever been a movie that I had seen that was a hundred years old, and it was like that's really weird. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and that film's weird to begin with. Both yeah. both of those movies are strange, but like, it, it the reoccurring theme of my week so far has been like, uh, let's try to make Tyler feel a thousand fucking years old. So. Yeah, uh, this only goes closer to that. Not that I was like, you know, a, a young buck watching Nosferatu. I wish I was cool enough. But uh, if I'm being honest, I think the first time I watched it all the way through was in preparation of this episode. So, I, yeah. Yeah, I've watched it a few times, but, um, you know, obviously none of us saw it in theaters. <laughs> Sp speak for yourself. Maybe I'm a vampire. Maybe, Maybe. I'm Nosferatu. <laughs> I got nothing. So other than uh, rewatching Nosferatu, what else have you been reading or watching doing this week? Uh, well, I finally watched a movie that's from the last 10 years for maybe the first time since we've been doing the horror podcast class. Um, I watched uh, Gretel and Hansel. Finally. Oh, awesome. Oz Perkins. Yeah, it was good. I had fun. Um, yeah. I think was, uh, uh, not, not to step on you, but I, yeah. I absolutely love the scenes when they're like in the basement cellar area of the house, mm -hmm. like how um, absurdly like sparse th that whole room is, you know, it's mm -hmm. just this big open freaky as hell room. I loved it. Yeah. Like it doesn't seem like just looking on like letterbox, it doesn't seem like it got the same amount of love that his other movies did, which I actually think I liked it better. Hmm. Those other ones I felt like it had more of a sense of humor 
than they did. And I felt like it had like, he's always been really good at like framing a shot. Yeah. I felt like, I felt like that got put to better use as opposed to just being like, here's a really well framed shot. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I I feel like it served the narrative better here. I don't know. Yeah, I think I probably would still go with Black Coat's Daughter just because uh, I like part of the reason why I liked that film as much as I did was it was so incredibly difficult to get a hold of for a while, mm-hmm. you know. So it had this like you know kind of mythos or something behind it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, and that's not to take anything away from any of his later stuff because yeah. it is quite good. And I think he, the Black Coat's Daughter, feels uh, like organic, and we're tapping directly into something. Uh, I think Gretel and Hansel feels. A little more polished and and i don't mean that in a bad way yeah it's I mean, it's and, just and yeah. it's a lot more i mean it's a lot more artificial like mm-hmm. which i love like i we were just talking about caligari like there's a reason i love caligari and it's that nothing in caligari looks even remotely real yeah <laughs> and well, i love that shit, so and, and we're gonna talk more about this when mm-hmm. we you know talk about nosferatu but like there is a lot of german expressionism in gretel and hansel for oh, yeah. fucking sure yeah. You know, yeah. so I, I can uh, I can totally see those comparisons. So, but... so not to completely derail our episode immediately, but um, <laughs> why not? Fuck it. <laughs> so my my whole problem, because this is this is a good story. My whole problem with both Black Coat's daughter uh, when I watched it the first time was that, so there's a big reveal, right, about a character where you learn who a character is and she's the same character as another character in the film, just at a different time. And this is supposed to be a reveal except that I actually thought it was the same actress because they looked so much alike to me. They do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, I just assumed it was the same person the whole time because I thought it was the same actress. She just cut her hair or something. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> and I so think they, they, they pull this big reveal. I'm like, wait, was I supposed to be surprised by that? That's the same person, but it wasn't. <laughs> you, you were watching the movie. Uh, you just didn't realize that you were watching it that deep or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's how smart you are. That's, that's yeah, a big, that's it. That's big brain. That's Orin with the big brain. It's not just that I can't tell actresses apart. No, it's... uh... (laughs) If if I'm being honest, I would have done the same thing, but I think um, the... the, One of the timeline of that uh, actor or whatever, it's Emma Roberts, who uh, I think is in like American Horror Story and, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So I was like, oh, I know who that is. If you would like to join in uh, in the off the rails conversation or the on the rails conversation, you can drop a comment. If you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube, um, just drop a comment wherever you're listening and we'll flash it up on the screen and it will be kind of like you're here um, in the AV room with the rest of us. So we'd love it. It is safe for you to be at the moment. Exactly. (laughs) Like there's no better socially distanced than, you know, through the internet. So Welcome. <laughs> so uh, a couple of things that I have been watching. First and foremost, uh, coming out very soon is uh, that Psycho Gorman. It's coming out on DVD from RLJE. So uh, it's a fantastic release on, on Blu-ray to begin with. The special features are awesome. Psycho Gorman is one of the funnest films that I have seen in a while. Uh, it, it like has this 80s aesthetic that is brilliant. It's got a great freaking monster. Um, Like, you know me, anybody that's watched the show before, sometimes I don't love movies that are up their own ass, you know, that think they're super, like, I'm so sick of the term slow burn because I just read slow, you know? (laughs) Uh, 
this is none of that okay it is funny and fun and totally worth uh, totally worth it to check out so Cool. Uh, I saw I saw that in probably my favorite film of the year. All right. I really, really liked it. There's a lot of shit to come out, so I know that's not going to be right. But uh, I caught The Vigil and it is fantastic. It is um, probably the best parts of like uh, Insidious along the lines of uh, I don't know. I don't. It's it's just really unique. It is a demon film, but also a haunting film, um, with a ton of like uh, archaic um, Hebrew and shit in it. Okay. Like, I would say sixty to seventy percent of the movie is in Hebrew, so you gotta read subtitles and whatnot. Cool. But it it's very cool. So, and utilizes this uh, concept of. Judaism, which I think is uh, both fascinating and interesting, but creepy as hell, which is when somebody dies, they typically have uh, somebody, usually a loved one, uh, sit vigil, right, to mm -hmm. uh, reassure the spirit that as they move into the afterlife, that everyone will be fine, that they'll be okay. They, you know, it's it's a little bit like uh, the the boatmaster in the river sticks, right? They got to mm -hmm. be somebody to. Well, in some families where. Like they either can't get there or in this particular instance in the movie, um, the the wife of the the older person who is deceased is kind of senile and has dementia, so she can't do it. And so they'll hire somebody there. There's a whole like weird thing of people that are like, oh, yeah, I have no clue who you are. But, yeah, I'll sit I'll sit vigil and they sit in the room all night long and, and recite these Talmudic uh, prayers and, you know, whatever. But. I think it would be kind of if I if I didn't if I if I wasn't going to be cremated, I would want somebody to like sit vigil, but also it'd be creepy as hell. And I get it. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, that could be that I'm into creepy stuff. So I don't, I don't know if uh, probably everybody would would share that same thing. So. Um, there's a there's a really good short story by M.T. Anderson. It's um it's a YA story, but it's really creepy. That's um that's about that. It's about someone who gets tired too set up with a corpse all night basically really yeah it's called watch and wake it's mm. in uh it's in a uh it's in an anthology called the restless dead from years ago but it's really good all right yeah we'll dig that link up and uh <laughs> put it in the show notes no i'm super excited now i want to read it because yeah. it was i think one of those things that i was vaguely aware of that happened but i I, I, I never really saw what it looked like or, you know, what it entailed. And, uh, yeah, it's a trip. So, uh, also there's a really great interview with the director on, uh, like the boo crew, which is one of, um, uh, bloody disgusting's podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's who, and the, the director is just an absolute who and a really cool guy and like got into directing movies really late. Like he was, I don't know, like 35 or 40. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I wanna, I wanna make movies." Like, okay, so there's hope for my old ass still, you know. So yeah. Um, so where where did you see it? Is it is it somewhere that like, can you can you VOD it or? Yeah, it's out on VOD right now. Okay. I saw it like I don't know two weeks ago, um, just as part of a, a screener that they dropped mm -hmm. off for coverage. Uh, I am relatively certain. I don't want to speak out of turn, but I'm pretty certain it's an IFC Midnight release. Okay. So. 
they do a really great job, right? I think you should all go and spend the money and watch it on VOD. But IFC Midnight has a pretty great deal worked out with Hulu, where I've noticed a bunch of um, IFC stuff on Hulu uh, gets released on Hulu like a few months later. So mm-hmm. hopefully, if it comes there, y'all gots to see it because it's very, very good. So I, I was genuinely creeped out and it was the middle of the day. So hey, Sweet. go yeah. for it. Yeah. Okay, so our dark corner of the web. Here's your free content on the internet. I am super thrilled to give out um, this recommendation from a podcast I've been listening to now for about a month. It comes out of Kansas City from a crew in Kansas City, and it's called The Elmwood Strain. It's a podcast, but it is uh, as things... As the podcast world, you know, gets bigger in some ways and smaller in others, there is this budding uh, desire and need to create fiction podcasts, right? The entirely made up, you know, written and then fully performed. And this is uh, one of those examples. It is uh, fantastic and scary. And the bulk of it takes place in a high school, which my jam, you know, so... Uh, and it's rep in Kansas City. So a lot of the actors, the voice actors are from Kansas City. The production company is based here um, in KC. So anytime that we can nice. give some local folks uh, a shout out, I'd like to. And I think they're on like episode eight or nine. Each episode is between 20 and 30 minutes long. So they're quick hitters. Uh, it's just really well done. So you want something scary to listen to in your commute. Go for it. Even my four-year-old's into it. So I don't know if that sells it. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't. He's also into Siren Head, though. So clearly he's got taste, right? <laughs> that, that is very true. And also the new thing, uh, again, here's my tangent for that. There is a, uh, oh, Christ, I'm not going to be able to come up with the title. A, he loves Five Nights at Freddy's. And he did uh, come in and watch a little bit of, uh, what Wall- uh, not Wally's World, but, uh, oh, Wally's shit. That- Wonderland? Yes, yes, yeah. uh, when it came out a couple weeks ago, and he was totally into that. But there is this, like, black and white cat that kills um, people, uh, and uh, I forget his name. It's, it's uh, I don't know, but he's in YouTube on occasion, and we're big into that. And now Pennywise. We mentioned Pennywise for the first time on the way home. So I just want you to know, I'm either raising him really right or I'm raising him very, very wrong, and only time will tell. So good luck, society. <laughs> Oh, man. So uh, instead of doing trivia this week, I was thinking we might take a moment because I honestly I don't I don't know how I feel about it. But we we all know that Warner Brothers has uh, contracted with HBO Max so that when the new Godzilla movie is released, it's released in uh, the theaters, but also at home. Mm -hmm. So. Lionsgate announced the same kind of deal, but this time with stars. So, yeah. like, oh, and here's Paramount, and Paramount just announced Paramount Plus, which is like Disney Plus, right? So, yeah, it, it's taken over for CBS All Access too. So yeah. they'll get all of that content as well. Right. But I, I imagine that any Paramount stuff is probably going to be released through it the same way. I haven't heard yeah. that it will, but I, I would guess. I mean, it seems yeah. like a fair guess. So I like. What do we think, man? Are we, uh, are we, are we done with movie theaters? I know I'm not, but like, I mean, I mean general, the general public, you know? I don't, I don't think we will be, but I don't know. A bunch of them will go out of business. The Alamo declared bankruptcy like yesterday, right? Yep. Yep. And I mean, 
you know, there's there's pros and cons to everything, including the Alamo occurring bankruptcy. Like, it got bought by a capital investment group, so probably it won't go anywhere. But I hear the one in KC is closing down for sure. Yeah. But um, but also it was a pretty abusive work environment, and there was a lot of sexual assault stuff going on there that was bad. So like, hopefully, if it does get restructured, it will get rid of that. We'll see. Yeah. But um, you know, I, I think we'll see a lot of things like that. But I don't think movie theaters will go away entirely. There's probably fewer of them, I would yeah. imagine. But I, I think the days when they dominated new releases were already coming to an end before COVID, honestly, because you had things like Netflix, you had things, you know, that directly competed with yeah. that, you know, experience because like, you know, Netflix is producing a lot of original movies that don't go anywhere else. I mean, yeah, well, in there was some brief talk because they got rid of the stipulation that, you know, production companies couldn't own movie theaters, right? So right. now we live in this, you know, brave, brave new world uh, where back they can. To the, we're back to the, what was it, block? I don't remember what it used to be called when the production companies could control what movie theaters showed. Yeah, yeah. And they'd sell them packages. So mm -hmm. you'd be like, great, we'll give you Star Wars, but you also have to get Air Bud 2. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, fuck. But uh, yeah, like I wouldn't be surprised if there there is a big movement from like Netflix or Amazon or something to buy up some smaller theaters or, you know, do whatever to try to get that foot in the door and and to make it eligible for the academy awards and shit like that which obviously this year have changed with covid and whatnot right so yeah, yeah. And, I think, and i think we'll see a change like that that continues too i think that i think that we'll gradually phase away from theatrical releases are what makes things count um right which in, in the in the bottom line is i've pretty elitist to begin with right like right. the bulk of people that see movies in this country see it from their couch and uh that that's okay right like right. i i have the time uh i have a little bit of money i have uh the desire to go out and catch movies in a movie theater yeah. but like i like the experience of being in a movie theater but not everyone does and not everyone has to the people right. who don't are not watching it any wronger than i am right yeah yeah um yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That being said, uh Screenland Armor is great. We yeah. still very much support them and cannot wait. Like here's the news because uh President Biden elevated uh teachers on the federal wait list, right? Um I walked into a pharmacy at High B uh and they said you're a teacher, here you go, blah blah blah, and they gave me my shot and I have my first vaccine shot. So nice. I'm going to wait my requisite three weeks, come back for my second appointment. And then not necessarily in this order, uh, but I'm going to go get a beer. Uh, I am going to get my hair cut because <laughs> it's been a year since then. And then I'm going to go to a goddamn movie and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> you can go to, you can do two of those three things at the uh, Screenland, and the other one, like the next door down. Yeah. Fuck it. Uh, you're going to come with me and you can cut my hair. That way I can, <laughs> We can, we can just call it good, man. Yeah. You know? Look at this. It's like a barbershop right there on the corner. We can just uh, get it all done right there. That's that's true. I think it's one of those fancy yeah. barbershops. We can yeah. beer too. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, that's <laughs> that. That's my that's my plan for the next month. It's going to be awesome. There you go. Well, I don't know when the hell I get vaccinated because I am like, in any just or rational universe, I am the bottomest tier. 
right? Because I never go anywhere. I work from home and nothing I do matters. So that's not true. Very bottom tier. I I was reading that by the end of, uh, by the end of April, they anticipate that the like supply and demand uh, correlation or relationship Mm-hmm. will flip that some point here in the next 30 to 45 days uh people that want a vaccine uh are all going to be able to get it and then yeah. it'll be trying to convince like the people who think they don't want one right 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 because like you need like something like 70 percent of the population to get herd immunity uh but we're not vaccinating kids which complicates everything right uh, and i'm not saying they should let the scientists figure that shit out right. but uh but it does mean that like that 10% that are like, I'm just afraid, you know, I'm afraid it might, uh, you know, turn me into uh, a frog. uh, Right. It was an alligator. I can't remember. I think it was an alligator that it was going to turn you into. Yeah. Right. Why not? Uh huh. Uh, We got to convince those people like go get your shot so you can go visit your grandma or whatever, but who knows? Maybe they've been doing that all along. So that's, that's my my grumble bus there you know who knows blah 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 you know what i'm not going to grumble about though because we have now gone 22 minutes without <laughs> getting to it what the hell uh we're good so yeah we are we're great we're professionals yep. <laughs> yeah all right so introducing tonight's essential question which is while nosferatu <clears throat> has a place in the pantheon of horror classics does it also include some pretty troubling anti-Semitic imagery? And let's take a look at the trailer. almost made you watch it twice uh so i have obviously i had difficulty because they don't cut trailers for movies made in 1922 but there were a couple of things i really liked about that trailer um chief amongst them that last shot of nosferatu in the window uh uh, really reminded me when i saw it and then you know in this trailer 
there is a final scene of one of my favorite movies. Could be top five of all time, a movie called Lake Mungo. And there is a scene very similar where you catch just a whiff of a ghost in a window. And it is melancholy and scary and so uh, uh, like full of pathos that it really reminded me of the film. So, yeah, I, before I forgot, I wanted to, to mention that before we get into the rest of it. But tell me, I mean, other than being the brilliant guy that you were and you're like, OK, two weeks from now, it will be Nosferatu's 99th birthday. That is let's, totally what I did. Let's do let's do that one. I mean, why Nosferatu, man? Well, before I do that, I just want to point out that uh, I loved the fact that the trailer um, sped up like everything it showed. It was like, oh man, modern audiences, they're not going to brook this slow bullshit. Like, We're going to, he's just going to yep. pop right up, right? Like a fucking, <laughs> yeah. Well, and it feels so much like a modern movie in that trailer. Like mm -hmm. it is, it is not that movie. <laughs> that movie would have been interesting on its own. And, and there's definitely value in watching the entirety of the movie, yeah. but it didn't, it didn't that movie that you're yeah. looking at. No. Yeah. Um, although, like, Nosferatu is a surprisingly modern-seeming movie in a lot of ways for, you know, a movie that's 99 years old. Like, it's not in a lot of other ways. Like, it's still silent. Like, there's a lot of, you know, stuff that's very different. But it also, like, there are many elements of it that feel very at home in our, like, A24 elevated horror. Oh, for sure. Kind of. Uvra, it makes sense that uh, David Eggers, right? David Eggers, the guy who made The Witch and The Lighthouse, was going to remake Nosferatu at one point. Like that, that feels very right. Yeah. Um, Especially also, using the fucking lighthouse as a as a guide for all of that. You right. know? Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, so to be perfectly honest, I picked Nosferatu a hundred percent so we could use the anonymous letterbox user we're going to use at the end of this, like. Okay. I found that review and it was so good. And so I was like, we're going to have to, we're going to have to do Nosferatu at some point so we can do this, this review. Um, <laughs> I love that where we are now retroactively picking movies based off of this shitty reviews that we can find like, for them. I, I don't remember how I found it. Like, I don't remember what the hell I was looking for. I don't remember why I was looking at reviews of Nosferatu on Letterboxd, but for whatever reason, I found this one and it was so good. Because you're the monster ambassador. That's what you do. You just troll people looking to talk shit. I, just on the scroll, classic I, I scroll through half-star reviews of like classic movies from 100 years ago. Why not? Um, <laughs> Everybody's got to have a hobby. Um, it, it could be worse. Your hobby could be podcasting. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I really just picked it for that. But it is a great movie. And I, you know, I think we had talked at one point that you had never seen it or had never seen all of it or something. And so I was like, well, we should totally do it. It seems like a good one to do. And I am always pushing to make this podcast more irrelevant by talking about movies from, you know, a hundred years ago, whenever I possibly can. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't worry about that. I think we've uh I think we've cornered the market on irrelevancy. So <laughs> I think we got it now, but that's so freeing. We can talk about whatever the hell right, we want to talk yep. about. Yeah. All right. So for those of you that have not caught um, Nosferatu yet, the internet movie database gives us this very brief summary, which is vampire count Orlock 
expresses interest in a new residence in real estate agent Hutter's wife. So directed by F.W. Murno and uh, ostensibly written by uh, Heinrich Galen, Galen, uh, mm -hmm. it's really just a Dracula knockoff, right? Right. Yeah. It was, it was the first Dracula film to such an extent that Dracula's Dracula's widow. Yes. Bram Stoker's widow sued them to destroy the film. Like, uh, she, she sued them for copyright infringement and tried to have the film destroyed and for a while largely succeeded. Like this was very close to being a lost film mm -hmm. um, because a lot of the copies were destroyed because she won her court fights because it's just Dracula with the serial numbers filed off. Yeah, yeah. And not even that filed off. Like um, they changed the names and the vampire looks different, but man, yeah, it's just Dracula to a huge extent. Yeah, well, and, and like it, it as I was preparing for the episode, the discussion of its release, the subsequent lawsuits, and like the path that it took now uh, to get to the fact that you can watch twelve different versions of this film on YouTube for free, which is nuts to me. You know, yeah. like uh, oh, I was yeah. like, okay, which version of this shit do I watch? But anyways, it it is long and convoluted. And it starts with that first choice where essentially um, the screenplay writer was like, I'm going to adapt Dracula. And everybody was like, I don't know, maybe we should definitely call it something different and change some of the things. And then the guy's like, oh, yeah, screw all of that. We can do all of that. But in the screenplay, I'm going to or, you know, in the credits, it's going to say adapted from, you know, Dracula by Brown, you know, like right. they you you can't play six to one half dozen to another you gotta you know you're either gonna call it an adaptation or you're gonna go down with the ship that says it's something brand new and you know it is, it is what it is so well and and the funny thing about that is that like i mean yes you know structurally right it's just dracula it's it's you know real estate agent goes to transylvania to sell a vampire the house next door vampire buys the house next door um other real estate agent goes crazy becomes his servant, Dracula shows up, goes after the dude's wife. Like it's it's just Dracula, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it's also not Dracula in any meaningful fashion. Like its themes and its tone and its everything are so different that it doesn't really feel like a Dracula. Like it feels like its own thing, even though it, it is just using it is just using the structure of Dracula more than maybe any other Dracula movie. It feels like its own thing. Yeah, how how much of that do you think is based off of Orlock's characterization? Because I really think that gives this a lot of independence, a lot of you know, a lot of its own yeah, flair. I think that's a huge part of it, and I think a huge part of it is how they chose to tell it, which I think is partly um, you know partly just Murnau um, and partly uh, silent films in general. Like it's got a more like storybook fairy tale quality to it because like for example it has a narrator right it has a narrator who speaks in the first person who discusses knowing all the characters but who you never meet yeah that's fair well it's um, even done in the same calligraphy you know right? yeah um and like i think i think that's a big part of it and i think another big part of it is its choice of focusing on the plague 
aspect. Okay. Um, which none of the other Draculas do the same way. And part of that is probably because it was made in the middle of a plague, right? It was made in the middle of the Spanish flu epidemic. Um, you know, if, if you want a movie that's great for watching in the middle of a pandemic, Nosferatu is your guy because it is it is a movie about the Spanish flu to a huge extent. Ooh, unpack that. Tell me why. I just, um, you know, it's it's like the vampire, every time he shows up, right, he's described as the plague coming to town. It talks about um, people. It talks about all the people dying. You get the great shots of like the funeral processions carrying the the coffins down the down the street. And so, like the the movie when it describes the vampire, never differentiates him from plague. Like hmm. he is described in the exact same way that the sickness is, to I the like extent it. that you can't tell which is which. I like it. Like, does he, does he bring a plague? Is he, in fact, the plague? Does he kill all those people? You don't know. It, it yeah. never specifies. Um, and so, so, yeah. it's Yeah, well, and I think uh, if I'm making a larger argument about vampires in general, because I don't necessarily remember anything from this movie, but, like, I don't know, garlic and that kind of shit, there are a whole lot of people that believe garlic's good for you and, you know, it's a great way to ward off not only evil but sickness and that kind of stuff. So, and, like, you know, that 100, makes years, sense. 100 years ago, there were even more people who believed that kind of thing, right? Like, um, I mean, you know, you've got the guy drawing the cross on his door or whatever. And, and that's another interesting thing about this movie is you don't get any of the, you don't get any of the classic vampire stuff from Stoker's novel. You don't get any of the garlic. You don't get any of the running water. You don't get any of the uh, crosses. You don't get any of that in this movie, right? Like the the only thing you get is the little thing she finds in the book. That's like the maiden has to give up her blood willingly so that he won't notice the cock crowing and the sun will kill him. Right. Like that's the only bit of vampire lore you get. Beyond that, you have no fucking idea how they work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that leads really well into um, that essential question, which is, I think, uh, at least the, the version of Dracula that we have seen um, leans a lot more into like a Christian ethic. So he's uh, seen at like the classic Dracula is seen more as um, an antichrist like character, right? Like uh, he's often seen in the context of Jesus on the cross and he's down below. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one criticism of this film that I think is not only warranted, but if you go into it with that critical eye, uh, there's some really anti-Semitic shit, especially in the creation of Nosferatu as a character and how he's treated as that plague and disease, you know, like, yeah. And like, I wonder, I wonder about that because I wonder, like, it's certainly easy to read it that way, mm -hmm. but it's also hard to imagine it was intended that way. Um, simply by dint of the fact that like, you know, Murnau was emphatically not a Nazi. Like he was not the, the Nazi party coming to power was very bad for him. He was, oh, he was closetedly, but he was homosexual. Um, he was, you know, he was a citizen of Weimar, Germany, where homosexuality was very accepted. And when the Nazis came to power, it was very not. And like, it's, I mean, maybe, you know, you, you can definitely be anti-Semitic and still be, yeah, yeah. and still be gay, but also, and still be like, you can, you can be, 
you can be one targeted demographic and still hate another targeted demographic. Yep. Like that's that's totally possible. But at the same time, like it seems like that was probably not at Intense, the forefront of his mind. Right. It probably wasn't at the forefront of his mind when he was working on this film. Like I I definitely read it a lot more as like a queer an allegory about being queer and about being othered and that kind of thing. Um just this time around. Um but but like yeah. the other reading is definitely there. Like it's it's definitely it's not like it's not there. And so it's 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 one of those things that you're never gonna know the author's intent unless they tell it to you, which he didn't. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well in in that's something that we have said time and time and time again, uh on on this show in particular, is you can make a piece of art that is deeply problematic without you yourself being intentionally problematic. I, I think the important reading in all of that is like, it's okay if you make a piece of art that is super racist uh, or, you know, whatever it may be um, that doesn't make you a racist, but it also doesn't insulate you from creating a film that uh, leads to these greater discussions, right? Like, right. like Nosferatu is inescapable, right? Like he is, uh, he's got a bald head. He's got a big nose. He's short. Um, he's definitely seen as, um, like intruder, right. As, right. as interloper. Right? right. Um, and, and the thing that I found most, uh, troubling, most problematic, at least from the, the Semitic angle, right. The, the only bit of religious lore or apocrypha that we get in the show, right. Is, is what you mentioned at the end, which is like, uh, like blood libel, right. Which right. is, uh, probably the most troubling dis distressing um you know anti-semitic thing that people used to say about jewish folks back in the day and like yeah yeah man uh i think it could be one of those things that obviously there are multiple readings for every film but like some of that shit in looking at its historical context because i think if you make this movie post holocaust um it it probably reads different, you know, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. And well, and like, and you run into that whole thing where like, um, you know, I got into this discussion recently about, about Tolkien's dwarves, actually, like are Tolkien's dwarves supposed to be Semitic, right? Or are they, are they standards for, for Jewish people? Um, and you know, the, the, the usual reading is that they are right. They have a bunch of the negative stereotypes that we associate with Jewish people. They have, you know, big noses, blah, blah. Um, but also, like, if you're reading them with those stereotypes, are you just engaging in those stereotypes? Like, at that point, are you looking for it? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Are, are are you just are you just putting Jewish stereotypes onto everything that happens to have those characteristics, and then saying, "Oh, that must be a Jewish uh, personification or whatever"? Right. Right. Um, and because, like, you know, yeah, the, the blood libel thing is going to be true of every vampire, right? Every vampire comes, it feeds on innocent blood, right? That is that is literally the whole, that is the one inescapable thing that makes something a vampire. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, are they are they always blood libel? And then at the same time, um, and maybe they often are, like Stoker had some anti-Semitism problems, I'm told. Um, but also, like, the same blood libel myth that was used on against the Jews had previously been used against Muslims sure. like years before. So is it, is that just what we use to other people back then? Yeah. 
like you know and so and and which is again none of which is to say that there are not a lot of troubling aspects about this film but rather that any attempt to like dig down into them digs into a whole big mess of other troubling yeah. things well uh, it, i yeah. like i th- super smart take right and, and here's why because in my mind um uh, we get a lit a, a lot like I mentioned before. We get a lot of this religious iconography about Dracula or whatever, right? right? But it's always in the context of of Christ on the cross bleeding, right? And and you have this uh, vampire that is kind of born from Golgotha or whatever, right? From the the soil mm-hmm. of the blood of Christ. When again, probably right next to the the you know blood libel is uh, you know like people that are anti-Semitic say like you killed Christ. Right. You know, right? Yeah. And yeah. as a result of that, like you're you're right. Any 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 time that we're going to take the mythology behind Dracula and behind vampires and root it in um the imagery of Christ, uh, and then him bleeding and somebody taking advantage of that, like yeah. it's not a hop, skip, and a jump away from, you know, just right. being a racist asshole. Right. right. Yeah. And and like, you know, and in Stoker's original novel, like there's a whole bunch of shit about um, you know, like, uh, I mean, first of all, you've got the whole problem with the Romani people, right? Like, right, it's right. real racist against Romani people. <laughs> but also, like, you've got the whole thing where, like, uh, you know, uh, Dracula went to, when he was alive, he fought the Turks. And so you've got that whole thing, which they really play up in the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula. You had the whole big plot line of him fighting the Turks and stabbing the cross and forsaking Christ and all that, which is you don't get nearly that much like Christ stuff in the original Dracula. You get a lot more of it in Coppola's, but, but like, but there is all that stuff. You've got the whole thing where like, he's a guy who went and fought, you know, he fought a Holy war in a foreign land. You know, it's a whole big mess. And, you know, anytime you dig down into this stuff and really try and root out, like, what is the, what is the root of this stuff? And then, you know, Stoker was pulling from a bunch of folklore anyway and so then you've got to dig through what was the folklore about because he just pulled it and used it for his own story um and so you know it's 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 a whole big nest of complicated interlocking interpretations yeah whenever you dig down into something like this and no matter you know no matter, yeah um, but but at, at its core right uh and, and this is uh so uh the good news is as of right now um monster 101 the big uh class i teach uh truman state all about monsters is a go so we're gonna this year it's gonna be amazing and wonderful it'll be great to be in a classroom full of kids um analyzing horror movies again but like it's it's such a weird thing because i start out uh those three weeks that class by discussing the transgressive nature of horror movies right like uh you do all of these wonderful things but then we're going to talk about all of these classical monsters which like their inventions really are just reifying old xenophobic tropes you know like we we got to get through the garbage before we can explore the you know whatever and and I, i i just find that fascinating that uh I don't know. Um, there is so much meaning and power behind uh, these monsters that we fear so much, you know. And one of the one of the really fascinating things about Nosferatu, like as a version of the Dracula story specifically, is that like so like one of the one of the problems with the Universal monsters is that they codified 
these classic monsters in a way that they really have not been before, right? Like you got rules put on all of them. You've got these, like, this is how they work. And that really had never been done before. Um, but like, so when you get Nosferatu, you get a version of the vampire myth that is largely free from that. Um, like Stoker's novel had already happened, obviously, and Stoker's novel has, you know, the, the stake through the heart and that kind of stuff. But you didn't have the level of that amount of cultural awareness build up. Mm. And so a vampire, a vampire in Nosferatu still feels like something that no one understands, right? You can just do anything you want with it. And, yeah. and it feels, it feels supernatural and eerie and, new and weird in a way that it doesn't by, even by the time the, the Dracula from 31 or 32 happens. Um, because I mean, like the, the thing about like that Dracula isn't an adaptation of the novel. It's an adaptation of a stage play that was an adaptation of the novel. So you've already got, you know, you've already got like layers of simplifying the story Yeah. by the time you get to that Dracula and Nosferatu didn't have any of that. It's just like, we'll take whatever parts from this we like and do whatever we want with it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that is a great uh, entree point into um, one of the last things I want to talk about because uh, we have the great letter letterbox review. We can't just right. let go, right? Uh, it's just sitting there waiting for us. But German expressionism, I think, is the perfect art form to kind of capture uh, exactly what you're talking about, right? Because you have uh, um, the, the concept of the simulacrum, right, which is the idea that oftentimes representations of actual things can be even creepier and can change and can uh, help get us into the uncanny valley, right? So mm -hmm. it's why, like, uh, a super realistic painting of a photo uh, is really cool and awesome, but can be slightly off, can look slightly weird, right? right. And German Expressionism, I think shoots itself, creates itself to reflect that, right? right. So uh, a couple of articles I want to mention real quick. One comes from movementsinfilm.com uh, discussing the different elements of German expressionism, of which Nosferatu most definitely is a part of. Oh, yeah. uh, we get high angles, which I think we get a lot of, right? Mm -hmm. uh, deep shadows, um, extreme camera tilts, and sets that look impossible. And this this has all of those things. And I everything is cantilevered so that it just looks slightly off. Probably not quite as bad as Dr. Caligari, right. but well, still this amazing. One uses, this one uses a lot of real locations, like it uses actual castles and things and, and actual streets, whereas Caligari uses painted sets for everything. Right. Um, and that, that kind of eliminates that abstract set part but yeah like the the long dark shadows which are to me like if you had to identify what german expressionist film especially was i would point at you know just the the long tall impossible shadows yeah um that's that's kind of the heart of it for me and like um there's a moment in nosferatu where he's reaching for the door to her bedroom right at the end and you're just seeing the shadow, right? And his arm extends in the shadow. Yeah, yes, the arm yes. gets longer. And it's like, 
it's such a and it's a it's an effect that you know like they use in Bram Stoker in the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula they use yep. in um, yeah Freddy uses a variant on it mm-hmm. at one point like it's such a brilliant and simple and uncanny and unsettling even now effect when his arm just extends to reach for that doorknob it's so good yeah. and that's so German expressionist right like to not show it to show the shadow of it. Ah, I I think what you have unintentionally done is create another episode where we discuss slash debate whether or not Nightmare on Elm Street um, is German expressionism. <laughs> I I honestly think that would be a really intriguing discussion, and uh, I bet we could find more than one example. Oh yeah, know, where oh, yeah. where it it kind of creates the uh, original, it, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So we should, I we should do it. I'll do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we'll uh, we'll save we'll save it maybe for its 99th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Uh, oh God! I hope I'm not doing this when it's having its 99th birthday. I <laughs> fucking shoot me. And and I love doing this, but yeah, oh, uh, this Jesus. is great. But I'll be very old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we 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 need to create a new podcast where we just take a movie. And we say, is it German expressionism or not? <laughs> We're like, yeah, I like it. I like it's, it. It's like the "Can you pet the dog?" Twitter, right? It's uh, you know, is is it German expressionism? Maybe. Tweet, yeah. Okay, so uh, moving on to <laughs> our four um, four recommended films. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll tell you my two, because uh, I got them there first. <laughs> uh, obviously, Shadow of the Vampire, which is the kind of John Malkovich vehicle where we uh, explore, like, essentially the idea that Max Shrek, right? Did I get that name right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, actually is a vampire that they got to work on the film. Um, it's it's a John Malkovich film. It's fantastic. Um, a really good watch. I would say maybe a little like this film slow in moments <laughs> but pretty pretty damn good so uh, yeah um and then my second film uh was i cheated kind of there is one of my safe comfortable return to things are stephen king miniseries of all kinds obviously the original stand is a is a classic and a favorite but um the salem's lot miniseries from 1979 uses a lot of the same techniques and is it's a vampire flick to begin with but we get that kind of ancient creepy vampire again so yeah. and, uh, and i mean like the vampire the way they did barlow for the movie is very emphatically aping um you know the counter lock makeup like 100 percent. yeah yeah that's that's kind of what i felt all yeah. right what do you got uh so i did um the 1979 remake of nosferatu the Werner uh, remake with Klaus Kinski, which is super good, and it's basically like a shot-for-shot shot remake of this to a huge extent, um, which is really weird that he did that, but it's it's very good. Um, I have not seen it in many years, so if I'm wrong about it being very good, uh, sorry, but I'm pretty sure it's good. Uh, also, you know, Werner Herzog remaking a silent film in 1979 is fascinating to me, but anyway. He's such a weird dude, he's man. He's a weird dude. Um, and then... Uh, also, the um, the Bram Stoker's Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula from uh, 1982, which uh, is a movie that like is intentional, like a, you know, it's it's from 1992, and in many ways it feels like a music video, 
but at the same time, it's intentionally aping old movie styles, like to a huge extent. So like they do the stuff with the shadows from this, um, but they also do like a lot of old fashioned special effects. They do um, old fashioned like traveling mats and, I mean, they do a bunch point, of puppet shit. That they is do a bunch of puppet shit. Rad. Um, yeah. You know, there's uh, at one point there's a lightning bolt effect that is literally just a light flashed behind a lightning bolt shaped hole, cutting a piece of metal. Like, um, you know, it, it's very old fashioned movie trickery that they're doing in a movie that doesn't need to do that necessarily, but it really gives it that that feel of these kind of movies um, in a really cool way. Yeah, I dig it. Um, I think those are those are good choices. And if uh, if you had picked either of those, I was going to add um, Faust, the FW Murnau Faust, which is super good. Um, if you want uh, another, if you want another, uh, you know, silent. Yeah, I think uh, it's very very good. Well, I think um, Faust is a you know, pretty close kin. You know, they they share a lot of family connection there, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, like. Um, the 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 Coppola movie is one of those movies that the more I watch it, the more I separate from it. I, when it first came out, I'm like, oh, this is totally my jam and, you know, whatever. And I, I can appreciate it for the artistry that it is, but also be like, okay. Um, yeah, it's a movie that's more fascinating than good. But yeah, it's also <laughs> very old, you know, like it feels uh, last time I saw it, which was at Screenland uh, as part of Shocktober like in 2018, you know, 12 years ago, uh, like I, I remember thinking this movie is much longer than I thought it was. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. Yeah. Like it, it is fine. Yeah. It makes a bunch of weird decisions, but, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Some of them, some of them for the good and some of them for the not so good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think especially, uh, with tonight's conversation, like it fits really, really nicely. Yeah. So the, the last kind of part I want to um, mention before we move on to uh, the, the, the highlight of the evening would be what um, Ebert wrote about this movie, which I think is really important. And mm -hmm. I'll link um, to the review if I can find it here, but I've, I've dragged it out and quoted it here. He argues, here is the story of Dracula before it was buried alive in cliches, jokes, TV skits, cartoons, and more than 30 other films. The film is in awe of its material. It seems to really believe in vampires. Is uh, Morneau's Nosferatu scary in a modern sense? Not for me, but I admire it for its artistry and ideas, its atmosphere and images, then for its ability to manipulate my emotions like a skillful modern horror film. It knows none of the later tricks of the trade, like sudden threats that pop in from the side of the screen, but Nosferatu remains effective. It doesn't scare us, but it will haunt us. And I, I just, I think that captures the power of this film. Like oh, yeah. it, it, it has no jump scares. It has no, but right. there are just a handful of scenes uh, that are, are, are fucking perfect. Our yeah. chef's kiss, perfect. Oh yeah. I mean, like, like you said, that shot of him standing in the window is oh, a perfect, so good. A perfect shot. Um, you know, the, the, the shot of him racing from the coffin when it's not sped up a classic. 20 times is a perfect shot. Um, yeah. You know, all, all the bits with the shadows, all that stuff. Like, it's it's um, it's brilliant. And I, I love that the werewolf is just a hyena also. just Yeah, that, right. Um, it's like, fucking, no one's seen a hyena. We'll just put a hyena in. 
Um, they'll, we, they'll think it's a werewolf. It looks like a monster. No one knows what the fuck this thing is. We 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 have a hyena budget. We better fucking use it. <laughs> um, yeah. it, it reminds me. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get off topic again briefly, but it reminds me. There's a, one of my favorite um, BPRD stories. So BPRD is the comic books that like go along with Hellboy. And one of my favorite stories, there's this um, this kind of sinister like counter marquee or something, and he's telling one of the BPRD agents the story um, about this uh, this guy who used to own this castle, right? And this guy who used to own this castle he had this menagerie, um, and and the the peasants all believed he had a werewolf in it. And then later in the comic, he shows her a an ape, like a mandrill, I think. Um, and says, you know, do you know what this, like a stuffed one, like a taxidermied one, and says, do you know what this is? And she thinks for a minute, she goes, it's a werewolf. Because that's what he had, but no one had ever seen one, right? Sure. None of the persons had ever seen one, so they thought it was a werewolf. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what the hyena is doing here, right? Like, it's like people in 1922 have not fucking seen a hyena, right? The, the people watching this movie don't know what a fucking hyena is. We're going to put one in. It looks like a werewolf to them. We're working hard. We call it a werewolf. They'll believe it's a werewolf. It'll be great. I love it. I love <laughs> it. Somebody um, who would probably be really pissed uh, that it's a hyena oh, man. and not a it werewolf. Would, it would be so fucking pissed. Uh, would be our anonymous letterbox user. Oren, you picked it out, so you get to read it, my friend. Sweet. I am, I am excited. Mm. All right. Mm. Fuck Nosferatu. I never <laughs> see this piece of shit and I never fucking will. I'm so tired of hearing people heap praise on this ancient turd. I want to watch a movie, not a fossil from the fucking Great Depression. Fuck Nosferatu in the throat. In the throat. So good. It's so rude. The specificity is what makes it. It's yeah. so good. And <laughs> in, in the, in the righteous anger, you know? Like, like no, I, I feel like the the like the letterbox Nosferatu entry like knocked on his door and like <laughs> pooped in a bag and then set it on fire like it's like what did this particular thing do to you like how did Nosferatu hurt yeah, you man right? you know? like, I want that to be the official synopsis at the top of the letterbox entry for Nosferatu just that yeah it yeah. Just yeah, in in gold, right? Yeah, man. Very clearly, um, he did not. I, I wouldn't say he didn't care for the film because he has never very watched it. Very emphatically right? states that he did not watch it and never will. Well, and that's the other thing that I found uh, hilarious and terrifying about that review. <laughs> we can just go around saying now, I fucking hate that thing. I've never seen it. I don't know what it is, but I hate it. <laughs> fucking, I hate the... In the, fucking in the throat. <laughs> Yeah, it's not just like, I don't care for it, you know? Like, I really uh, have found that I couch my opinions more to to allow people space to like things that I don't, you know? So I'll be like, that's just not my thing, you know? Like, right. it may be somebody else's thing. That's great. That's cool. I'm totally down for that. You know, whatever. <laughs> but this guy's like, that may be your thing, but fuck it in the throat. <laughs> in the throat. <laughs> yeah. Oh. All right, so man. So yeah. Good. Yeah. So, uh here's here's my parting thought on it. the film is fantastic um if you don't want to devote all of, all of it there are um a couple of really great youtube links that discuss the film or that highlight the creepy moments too i'll include all of those in the show notes tonight because the bottom line is if you like horror movies that like we do then this is like one of those things you got to know enough about to at least discuss it 
to to see those iconic scenes to make those connections like Warren did between you know films from 1922 and uh films from 1985 or whenever the original Nightmare on Elm Street came out I think I'm pretty close I think it was 1985 pretty close yeah yeah so uh yeah yeah so yeah check it out I'll put those links in there and then get back to us because at the end of the day we want to hear uh your feedback about the episode about the movie about you know about what you liked and, and what you didn't like. And you can send all of the nasty emails to Oren on Twitter. Oren, where can they find you to uh, talk shit on episodes? Yeah, uh, please please come talk shit on episodes at uh, Oren Gray on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Letterboxd. You can come comment on my reviews of movies. Tell me how wrong I am. Um, please, please do. Uh, or at uh, OrenGray.com. Very good. You can follow my, more of my stuff uh, at Ty Unsel on Twitter. I'm also on Letterboxd, but I honestly don't know what my profile name is there. Um, but yeah, it's a great way to keep track of your, your movies, for sure. Yeah. Um, but also, I run the day-to-day -day, um, at Signal Horizon. So if you're interested for to write for us, we're paying. We would love to pay you some money to write some interesting stuff about horror movies. Um, maybe we'll invite you on an episode sometime. Next episode, though, what are we talking about next episode, Oren? Next episode, uh, we're going to talk about Split Second. Another one I have not seen. So It's it's not so much the classic that Nosferatu is. Heads up. <laughs> Great. That's where we're starting the conversation. I love it. I can't wait. And and where is it available? It's on Amazon Prime. So Love it. All yeah. right. So do your homework for us, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Go check out the movie and then join us in two weeks when we discuss the not so classic i don't even what what what, what is it called i, I forgot Split second it it's Split uh second it's like a it's like a monster slash serial killer movie with rucker hauer oh it's got rucker hauer okay. rucker hauer and kim cattrall yeah no way all right yep. movies looking up movies looking up <laughs> all right well uh reach out to us on social media or you can uh email me at uh tyler at signalhorizon.com otherwise last dismissed We'll see you in a couple weeks.